This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from a monsoon here in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chotten from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you're listening to Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 8th, Episode 887. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Horses in the Morning. Welcome back, Karen. Good morning. Good to be here again. Looking forward to another popular endurance day here on Horses in the Morning. But before we get to that, I have to give uh, my condolences to all of our friends in Lexington, Kentucky, who had a who are now waking up this morning unhappy that their that UK basketball <laughs> lost, and they're also very hungover. So they got both of those things going into work this morning. So it's not a happy Aww. day. I'm in Lexington, and it sounds like uh, there were a lot of couches burnt in Lexington last yeah. night, according to news reports, and a lot of arrests made. So it doesn't yeah, matter some of them are waking up in the pokey this morning. Yes. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about that for us is my dad actually went to UConn, was a big UConn guy. He played basketball, but not for – he didn't play in college. He played in high school, but was a huge basketball UConn basketball fan. So wherever my dad is now, he is cheering and, and very happy today. Uh, and, and a lot of my family came from Connecticut, and we all, all went to UConn. So now the interesting thing about that is they won the national championships last night, and the girls' UConn team is going to the national championships tonight. They're playing Notre Dame. It's the first time in the history of girls' basketball that there's been two undefeated teams going, UConn and and Notre yeah. Dame are both undefeated. Can you imagine playing 46 games and being undefeated, and they're both in, in the championships tonight? And, by the way, they hate each other. So <laughs> it probably will be a better game than last night. Uh, but it could be. Wouldn't Wilbur. it be interesting? Yeah, UConn could win both the men hmm. and the women's uh, championship titles for basketball. And then we'll see what happens at UConn tonight, what kind of couches they're burning and who gets arrested. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, anyway, off the basketball talk, I don't even watch basketball that much, but I had to do that for all of our friends in Lexington. We are going to have a lot of cool things for you today. Jennifer, tell us about them. On this month's Endurance Tuesday edition, Trailing behind Karen's latest epic ride adventure stories, we, we go all Emily Post today with a list of ride, trail ride do's and don'ts for those of you who don't have any manners. 
And then next up, John Park stops by for a chat about endurance riding on his Icelandic pony. And then in the third half of the show, Mary Meld provides an inside look at her book, Soul Deep in Horses. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you, Jennifer. And, uh, well, is that the name of the book, though, Karen? Yes, it was the it is. Equestrian Vagabond. Or was that, mm-hmm. is that the name? Oh, that's okay. her blog. Oh, that's her blog. That's right. That's her blog. And you're right. Sold keep up, for horses. Keep is, up. Yeah, okay, got it. Uh, I'm going to <laughs> Sorry about that. Karen, what have you been up to since we talked last month? Well, I just did a two-day ride at Washoe Lake State Park in northern Nevada, um, put on by the NASTAR Club. It's the first ride in their Triple Crown series that they do. And in order to do that, you need to do the Nevada Derby, which was Saturday, and that's a 50. And then coming up in May is the NASTAR 75-mile ride. And then in September is the Virginia City 100. And um, that's a big goal for a lot of riders. There were, I think, 15 of us entered on Saturday that are planning or hoping to be able to do the Triple Crown rides. And so I completed that ride that day on my horse bow. We finished 17th out of around 90 riders. Wow. And then on, on Sunday was another 50, and I rode my horse chief on that day. And uh, one of the nice things about this ride is one of the few times where I can go to a ride and come home, and I've ridden more miles than I, than I drove. <laughs> I guess that doesn't happen too often when you live in Nevada, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. Too many of my rides, I end up driving quite a bit farther than I've ridden, even if it is a five-day ride. So this time I was uh, tipping the scale the other way because I got to ride 100 miles and I didn't have to um, drive, but maybe just a little over you know, half of that. So that was really nice. Now, you mentioned Virginia. Will you come in for that? Then you'll come in Virginia for that. Virginia you... City. It's, it's in Virginia City. Okay, gotcha. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. you're driving all the way to Virginia? <laughs> well, that'll, you know, I could. <laughs> that'll be over your 100-mile limit. Uh, uh, yeah, that would kind of um, yeah, be quite the trip to, to ride a, for a 75. But, no, I'll do that one. I did it last year, and that one's also literally right in my backyard. It's really close. So it's nice to be able to do a close ride once in a while. Do you ever head to the East Coast? I haven't. The farthest east, I think, is probably Missouri. Okay. And tell us about this ride. Was there anything wacky on this ride? Any lightning strikes nearby or any of the wacky things that happened to you on rides? No loose horses? I don't think there was. This was actually one of those nice rides where you really appreciate that nothing... Nothing bad happened. I, I think probably the worst thing was at the start on the on the second day, Chief, you know, God bless him, poor little thing. He's only got 14,000 miles and been doing this for, what, 12 years now. But he got rather excited near the start of the ride. So I got off of him because he started getting his helicopter legs that he gets where yeah. his legs start swinging all over the place. And so he helicopter stepped on one of the legs. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, helicopter legs. I love legs. helicopter legs. <laughs> yes, he gets helicopter legs. And so, of course, it was near the start, a couple miles into the start, and so there was nothing, no logs, no trees, no dips for me to stand on. So I tightened his girth really tight. 
and got back on. And then we headed up into the mountains and did quite a bit of climbing up and down a lot of hills. Well, I had his girth a little too tight. So unfortunately, because it was so tight and because he's getting older, he's got a, what I call flubber. It's a little bit of a fat layer with extra skin in his girth area. And because the girth was so tight, it caused a little bit of edema and swelling and started to get a little bit sore. So I ended up, um, you know, loosening his girth where I should have had it. And we did make it through the ride, but I learned a, a really valuable lesson is I really have to pay super close attention to that as he gets older, um, that um, he's prone to having that happen if I'm not too careful with his girth. And um, I did manage, the ride photographer did get a couple of nice shots of him with his helicopter legs and one with his <laughs> nose, you know, pointed more towards the sky than towards the... So those can go in my pile of ride photos that, that you know, I kind of keep to remind myself that um, they all have their moments. <laughs> <laughs> how, much, uh, how much walking will you do on a, on a 50 or a 100? You know, it just depends on the terrain. I'm really lucky both of my horses have fairly fast walks, and so we can do pretty well through the um, really steep stuff or where there's a lot of rocks. Like a lot of riders will get off and, and lead, but I can usually stay on and ride my horse at a lot faster than they can lead through it. And okay. So that's what I'll do. But, I, you know, you're, you are walking for a fair amount of time, um, on a ride like that where there's either deep sand or a lot of climbing and uh yeah are you are you walking to give your horses a break or are you walking because it's too dangerous to ride at that point well a little bit of both you can trot through and i'm sure some of the faster horses are trotting through like there's one section where you're kind of going up over a hill where there's power lines and it's like all rocks and some of the faster people did trot through that rather quickly but you increase your chance of a horse tripping and falling or just increasing the wear and tear on him um i know i ended up in 17th place even though i wasn't really riding in 17th place just because there were several pools in front of me so you're more likely to get pulled or have a problem i think if you go really fast over that more difficult terrain what's the most oh jennifer well, the the girth rub brought uh, a question to mind for me. I know during endurance ride there are soundness checks and recovery checks to make sure, horse, sure the horses stay sound and that they are recovering appropriately during the race and after the race. Yes. Are minor things, for example, a girth rub or a maybe the horse kicked himself in the heel and gave himself a heel grab. Are those types of things a factor in the uh, veterinarians during their, their checks, or are those ignored unless they affect the horse's soundness? Yes. They, it depends. Some vets might be more careful with certain types of things over others, you know, that could – Tend, like if your horse has a swollen leg and it could be a tendon, they might take that a little more seriously than if they just dinged something on their forearm, for example. Mm-hmm. And right. like in my case, it wasn't really a rub. It was just some edema from um, the pressure from it just being too tight and then this, um, the, um, I guess, just the pressure of the girth being right. where it was. 
Um, yeah. It caused the edema and made him a little sore. And we knew what it was, but the vet also did tell me if, you know, if he was off or got any, you know, where he was consistently off, then I would get pulled. And, of course, right. by that point, it would have been I would have been pulled at the finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's right. so, subjective, depending upon who the veterinarians are that sometimes. Well, it's subjective to the point that if the horse is visibly off, then it doesn't really matter what's causing it. You're still going to get pulled. And so when, yeah. when you come into the vet check, the first thing you have to do is pulse down. And on this ride, the criteria was 60. So as soon as you met 60, then you could go through and vet. And because it was a little bit cool and breezy, they let us keep our tack on. Normally, at most of these rides in the West Region, you have to pull your tack off before you go vet. And then hmm. at the finish, you do have to pull your tack off. That way they can check your everything over. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about your 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 training section for today, and and this applies not only in endurance riding but trail riding in general, uh, and a lot of it applies in riding in general. So you're going to be talking right. a little bit today about trail etiquette. Yes, and trail etiquette during an endurance ride is really important. It um, it's a lot like common sense, and also. Uh, it involves just being polite and courteous to your fellow rider, having patience and willingness to tolerate other riders that may be clueless. You know, some people, especially on an endurance ride, they get tired, they get stressed, you know, maybe they've been fighting their horse. And so they, they're not always completely aware of how their actions affect you or, you know, vice versa. That's why we need to kind of pay attention. So I'm just going to cover a few things about trail etiquette that, um, you know, if you're new, um, you may not be aware of or um, it just doesn't hurt to have a little reinforcement once in a while. So let's start with uh, trail ribbons in your horse's tail. Um, Normally people will put red on their horse's tail if their horse is a kicker. That gives warning to other riders to keep a little bit of distance and um, be a little careful around that horse and not crowd it, which you shouldn't do anyway, but it, it just serves as a little extra warning. Uh, yellow is for stallions, and green for a green or a new horse. So that's the same as it is in fox hunting, right, Jennifer? Pretty much, yes. Yes, if, yeah. it, okay. if it's green, just stay way, way far away from it. Just yes. don't pass <laughs> it, don't get near it. That horse is completely unpredictable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then the next is liable to have cloud. helicopter legs at any minute. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Watch out for those horses. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to deal with those or those green horses that Karen rides. I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, don't crowd, and that applies even when the horses don't have any ribbons on their tails. Y- you know, some horses that may not ever kick. You know, when, once they get stuck into a crowded situation and horses start bumping into them or backing up into them, they may very well kick. That's why, you know, you need to give a, a nice safe distance and be a little bit careful, especially around water stops. You know, if there are already a couple horses drinking in a tank and it's not a really large one, you know, stand back and wait or, you know, Go around to the other side if there's room, but make sure you don't crowd because sometimes 
you know, there'll be a couple horses in a tank and then three or four more people come along and shove their way in. And next thing, everybody's bumping into each other. And that's the time when, you know, there'll be some, you know, more of a chance of a wreck or accident happening because some horses don't like to be crowded. I assume you have seen that situation. <laughs> I've seen issues. just about everything you could, things you can't make up. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen. All right. And as far as um, going on to water stops, don't sponge out of water troughs, especially when other horses are drinking. So that's now, just because you can disrupt them. Well, they do don't. they use the same water trough for sponging out of and drinking? You really shouldn't. Yeah, I was going to say, you shouldn't. Yeah, I should say sponging or scooping, either way. But some regions, it's more acceptable, and people will do it. I mean, I've actually had a rider throw a wet sponge back into a trough my horse was drinking on and actually hit him in the face while he was drinking. Um, So, yeah, oops. So that's, you know, (laughs) those are the kind of things you want to avoid and not do, whether you're on an endurance ride or not. What's scooping? Scooping is where you take a plastic scoop, like you take an old, um, maybe an orange like juice scoop? container or a okay. gallon jug, and you cut the bottom out of it, and then uh-huh. you tie a clip onto the handle, and you clip it to your saddle, and it allows you to scoop you know, maybe a half a gallon of water at a time, and you can pour that over your horse to cool him. Or you can use it to get water to your horse, like if there's a, a creek that you can't really get your horse down into that's real narrow or something, you can scoop the water and bring it back up to your horse to drink out of. Aha. So you have to keep me up okay. to date on the, on the lingo. So scooping. Yeah. Yes. And, just, and okay. that's what, especially in Nevada, if you're going to get to use put water on your horse more often than not, you're going to need a scoop because we usually don't allow sponging out of troughs as much. You know, sponging is more reserved for natural water sources like creeks and, um, you know, ponds and things like that. Well, yeah, and the first thing I thought of is contamination because who knows what's in the sponge. You're contaminating the the drinking water. Yeah, yeah, fly spray and all sorts of stuff. What's interesting is sometimes for horses, if if there's some of the rides will set up separate sponge buckets that you are, those are meant for sponging out of. And a lot of times the horses will prefer to drink the sponging water because it's got all the salts that have come off of the sweaty horses. Uh, interesting. So, so you never know. We're just happy when they drink. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. And when your horse is done drinking, make sure he isn't allowed to rub either on the trough or on other horses or riders. And that's where I've seen some really interesting wrecks where horses – start to rub on each other, and somehow they manage to clip their bridles to each other. Ah! Or even more fun is when it's a big water bucket and they clip themselves to it or their bit catches on it and picks it up. Wow. And then the horse starts spinning circles with the, this 55-gallon bucket spewing water out as it goes. <laughs> like a giant horse. That's yeah. Talk about yeah. talk about that's a helicopter horse. That is the yeah. whole horse. <laughs> yes, that's, that's something even chiefs never managed to do. So. <laughs> wow, that's that's scary. <laughs> yeah, so just little things like that. Plus, you know, if you let your horse rub, they're bound to turn and and start rubbing their head with their bit or their hackamore on somebody's leg or something like that, and 
You know, that never feels very good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, now on to passing other riders on the trail. If you're going to pass, then keep going. Don't pass somebody and then get in front and slow down. Oh, I hate when cars do that on the highway. Yes, it's like, yeah. I call it the yo-yo effect. Yeah. You know, and people do that. They're not always aware that they're doing it. You, you know, but so what I'll do is I'll kind of maybe hang back for a little bit and, until I see a nice good spot where I can't, once I pass, I, I can keep going. I'm not going to pass and then immediately have to slow down because there's rocks or something like that. So if you pass, you know, it's polite to just try to keep on going and not keep slowing down when you get in front of somebody. Now, are, do you always pass on the left? Is that the general rule? It just depends. It depends on what the trail is like. And usually you do announce, um, I'm passing on your left or passing on your right, so that they know and they, you know, expect, um, you know, that someone's coming around. It just depends. Some trails, you might see a spot where you can get around on either side. So in England, do they always pass on the right if we pass on the left? Just checking. Um, (laughs) <laughs> okay, and if you're riding along with somebody side by side and you hear horses coming, you know, they probably are going to want to pass you. So that's when you, you know, try to move over and get in a single line so that the other horses can get by you. Makes sense. Uh-huh. And again, it's always good when you are riding with others to to leave a nice respect of horse space so that horses aren't getting all bunched up. You know, a lot of horses don't like to be used as brakes, so don't do that. If you need to pull off and let your horse take a, cu- a breather for a couple minutes and calm down so that they aren't running up on other horses, because that's when, you know, your horse is excited, and now if you're letting him run up into other horses, you could get them excited, and then that just escalates and often will end up in a a wreck or an accident possibly happening, which we want to avoid. That that whole leave a respectful, safe, appropriate distance between horses is such a subjective phrase. It is. One guy's safe distance is another guy's. Well, if you had to quantify that, what would it be for you? Well, you know, it's just like driving down the freeway. You want to, the bigger the rig, the more space you want to leave. With a horse, <laughs> the, you know, the hotter it looks or the more excited it looks or the greener it might be, then just um, expand on that. You leave a little more room. I'd like at least a couple of horse lengths of space, but at least five feet, you know, if you know the horse. That way, if it suddenly slows down, you you, ha- you want to be able to have time to slow your horse down and not just run into them and, you know, have a fender bender. So this whole endurance thing really coming across to me is a lot like driving on uh, on on the uh, interstate during rush hour. <laughs> there's a lot of similarities yes, here so far. There are spots like that where it gets like that and you get in a big group and, you know, and, and the same for crowding. You know, if you're all riding in a group, a lot of horses – they start to feel like they're sandwiched in if they end up with horses on both sides of them. And that's where you really need to start, you know, to try to learn how to read their body language and see when the ears are pinning back 
or they're giving you little snarly faces and turning their heads one direction or the other as a warning that they're just not really comfortable in that situation, you know, so get them out of it. Either, you know, speed up and, and get ahead of the group or maybe, you know, drop back and, and let the others go. But, you know, don't just keep pushing your horse or allowing it to be in a position where he's not comfortable. Are a lot of these uh, rides on very narrow trails? It depends. Some rides are, you know, you'll have a fair amount of roads. Some are more of a mix, you know, where you go from single tracks back to roads. You know, and then every so often you'll be on roads that are really wide where you can ride three or four abreast. And then, it, you know, it goes back and forth you know, narrowing and then opening back up again. So when you are riding down the trail um, and you see something that looks dangerous, such as a hole or a branch sticking out, make sure and point that out to riders behind you so that they know to expect it because if you're riding in a group, a lot of times only the first person really can see what's ahead. So warn warn people behind you. So you're not supposed to do what my brother did and pull the branch and make sure I get whacked in the face with it on the way by? Yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, that happens, and there's not always anything you can do about it. You try not to, you know, hit them with branches if you can. You make sure my brother isn't in front of you. That's the first thing. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the worst is when you think you're ducking under a branch that moves and it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's the helmet. Yeah. That's why you wear a helmet. Yeah, that right. is, except sometimes it's the helmet. If you weren't wearing one, you wouldn't have hit the branch. That <laughs> 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 works. Okay. And when you're slowing down, um, it's good to let people know. I usually put up a hand signal. I hold my hand up, like I, you know, just like a person would the, um, doing traffic. You just hold your hand up and signal behind you that, um, so the writers behind you know. Now, you need to make sure that they're paying attention and that they understand that's what you do. If not, say out loud that you're slowing down. A lot of times, if you ride with somebody long enough, their horses will learn the hand signals and slow down on their own. So even if the rider's not watching, the horses learn the hand signals, and they'll immediately slow down or they know that they're about to slow down. I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Well, well, Karen, let's uh, take a break here from your okay. list, and uh, we'll come back to that a little later in the show and get through the rest of these. They're all they're all pretty logical. I mean, when you 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 were right in the beginning when you said it's common sense, but you know, as we know, there's there's some people that don't have a lot of common sense, so you have to review these things. Uh-huh. And plus, you just forget them sometimes too when you're in the heat of the moment. So it's. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, as you said, that, you know, you may be trying to stay alive at that particular moment on your horse. Uh, everything goes out the window at that point. So let's do this. Let's go to your product review, and uh, then we'll get to your first guest. Okay. Um, today I'm going to talk about cooling vests because the temperatures are heating up. And cooling vests are a great way to keep cool. They're, they've been around for a few years. I know I've been using them probably for at least eight or nine years. And they're good not just to use while riding, but I use them in the summer at home when I'm doing chores and it gets hot outside. And the way they work is you dunk them in water, and then they cool you by evaporative cooling. 
and they really are a great lifesaver on certain rides like Tevis. I know some riders don't like using them where it's just humid because it makes them feel kind of just, I guess, wet or damp, and then mm-hmm. they don't cool as much when there's a high amount of humidity. But for a lot of the rides that we go to, um, it's hot and dry, and then they work just fabulous in those conditions. And they, you dunk them in the water for maybe 30 seconds, wring them out, and um, put, put them on, and then they'll keep you cool for hours. And I have one, and I've used it a few times on rides like Tevis and a lot of the summer rides where it gets up to triple digits, and they really do work. They're really handy things to have. And you can find them at Action Rider Tack. They have one called Hypercool Sport Cooling Vest, and they're $44.99. And other, there's other vendors, and you could Google them to find um, a lot of different styles, colors, types. I, because I'm shorter, I use the shorter vest version rather than the long one. Um, works really good. I guess what's really nice about these two on an endurance ride is you can, you can re-dunk them when you're at your stops uh, and, you know, get them activated again. Right, right. It doesn't take long. You know, you stop for the horse to drink anyway, and you just dunk them in the water. And then I'll wring mine out over my horse's neck because then that gives him a little bit of, water to help cool them down a little bit as well. Yeah, and the nice cool. thing, too, is if you start out with them dry in the morning, you wear it just like a regular vest, which it, in the morning when it's cooler, it's actually keeping you warm. And then when, when it gets hotter and you need it, then it's with you and you just dunk it in the water and you're good to go. The one you're talking about, too, is made by Techniche, and they actually make a lot of cooling, different cooling products that, are, that re- work really well. They uh, do. They have stuff that can fit in your helmet and around your neck and um, even things for horses. Very good. Well, let's talk a little bit before we get to your guest about uh, one of our terrific sponsors, speaking of products, Renegade Hoof Boots. Okay. Well, Renegades are made in the USA, and they come in several different colors. They've been around for a few years now, and they're, they're very popular with endurance riders at the ride I was just at. There were quite a few riders, probably at least a dozen, using them. Uh, I used them both days on my horses, and they worked great. No rubs. Um, They're easy on, easy off. The horses do really well in them. The nice thing is, is in between rides, I can keep my horses barefoot and then use the boots just when I need them, which allows my horses to, um, you know, live, you know, barefoot the rest of the time. Um, it gives me a freer schedule as far as with my trims and stuff. I'm not stuck on a farrier schedule that I have to work around the ride. So I get a little bit of flexibility for that and get to use a product that works really well for us. Are they tight? This came up in a conversation we were having over the weekend. Are are they tight enough that if when the hoof does get a little bit long, let's say you're due for a farrier visit, will they still fit? Yes, they will, because there's some adjustability both with the cables and with the Velcro. Okay. So you can adjust them a little bit. And um, if anybody wants more information, go to renegadehoofboots.com. Thank you, Karen. All right. Cool. Our first guest is, is ready. We have John Park. John's been riding endurance since 1996. He's got over 14,000 miles. He rides Icelandics, most notably Remington who was inducted into the AERC Hall of Fame this year. John and Remington were also awarded the AERC Partners Award in 2006. 
in recognition of their teamwork and partnership. And this is the really fun part. Remington is 25 years old. Wow. He's been competing in endurance for, well, 20 years now. He's got 11,250 miles. He's currently one of the highest mileage endurance horses on record. And John is on the AERC board, and he's an attorney. Welcome, John. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Just fine. Well, we're so glad to have you join us. Tell us a little bit about how you got into endurance and got started riding Icelandic. Well, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it short. Uh, okay. I used to be an avid mountain biker and hiker and uh, went to Wyoming uh, one summer. I think it was the summer of 94 uh, with my wife and kids. And they uh, rode horses at a guest ranch while I went off backpacking with my cousins. Uh, uh, and, and they liked horses. Then uh, a month or two later, I rode a, 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 a new brother-in-law's uh, 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 roping horse and thought, boy, that was kind of fun. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, getting a horse for the family would be something we could all do together instead of me riding off on my mountain bike. So for Christmas 1994, I bought the kids a pony. <laughs> and, uh, it was a big pony, big Icelandic pony. And uh, I was impressed when I first rode him because he was so nimble, so much more nimble than than the uh, than the roping horse I'd been on. Uh, it's just they're they're nimble horses. I, I read about them and read that they were just like big dogs and they were good in the mountains. And I thought, okay, well this would be good because I hadn't been around horses for 40 years. Uh, and uh, so I I grabbed Remington. They didn't even let me take him home at first because they, they thought I didn't know enough about riding, so I needed to take riding <laughs> lessons. So he came home for for Christmas of 1994. Uh, and then um, I thought, well, I ought to keep this pony fit, so I rode him a lot at night after work. And then the uh, uh, lady who bred him and, and who uh, sold him to me and who'd been breeding Icelandics for uh, several uh, decades here in the United States really introduced the breed to this country. Uh, she said, you know, if you're going to ride that poor horse that much, you ought to try endurance. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, 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 I said, what's that? And then she told me about it. And his, his, his grandparents had actually done it years and years ago. So I entered my first uh, limited distance ride in uh, uh, April of uh, 1995, I think it was, a few months after getting the pony. Uh, mm-hmm. and that was quite an adventure. I didn't even know what a vet check was. I wondered, why are they trying to check my horse? There's nothing wrong with him. (laughs) Well, well, what did you think after you did that first ride? You know, it's a funny thing, Karen. Uh, I've always uh, been a good student in school, that kind of thing, but I was never any kind of of an athlete. Uh, And so when we finished that first endurance ride, my first 30-mile ride, it was it was maybe one of the coolest things I'd ever done. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, of, of all the things I've done in endurance, that, that first LD was maybe the coolest thing I've ever done. I loved it. Wow. Well, tell us about Remington's personality. I know he's got quite the personality. Well, you know, he is uh, quirky to say the least. Uh, I sometimes think that Remington believes there's some sort of universal code of behavior or law out there for all living creatures, but he's the only one who knows it. And so uh, he's he's constantly trying to impose his will on everybody else to do what uh-huh. he thinks is the right thing. He's hyper, super intelligent. Sometimes my kids used to joke that maybe he was some alien creature in a horse's body. 
Um, uh, very bossy horse, very calm, but uh, uh, bossy. Really, uh, there's no other male outside my family that even wants to touch him or certainly ride him. <laughs> no one ever has. Um, he's he's really great with little kids. He loves my wife, but he's uh, mm-hmm. he's tough. And as you know, Karen, he uh, loves to run away when anybody uh-huh. uh, grabs him by the lead rope. Um, he doesn't run very far. He'll just run 50 feet or so. It's just to establish that he's the one that's in control. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's him. Well, well, tell us some of the other fun things that you've done with him. Well, I think that, um, uh, you know, in endurance, uh, what uh, the things that stand out to me are doing the 100 milers, and doing the uh, uh, and doing the the uh, the multi days, okay. uh, as, as you know, when you look at the the records of the horses that that have the high miles, some have done a lot of hundreds and not very many multi days. Some have mm-hmm. done a lot of multi days and not so many hundreds. And, and Remington's done both, um, uh-huh. just because I wanted to meet the challenge, so to speak. And there's that feeling when you're doing a 100. And, and maybe I'm one of the few that feel it because almost everybody else is done before I'm done. But when I'm out there <laughs> at 3 or 4 in the morning and trotting across the desert, uh, I, I, can, I can feel his heartbeat. I can feel his muscles moving, and, and I'm sure he can feel what's in my brain. It's as though we're the, um, uh, just one and the same. It's, it's an amazing feeling. And then, as you know, in multi-days, Karen, it's, it's so wonderful when you – you, you you bring your horse, you're so excited, you cover such beautiful scenery, and, and mm-hmm. after the third or fourth day, you sense that your horse is getting stronger and stronger, and uh, mm-hmm. you you really get a chance to, to know your horse in these 100-mile rides or these multi-days that you don't any, any other way. So that's that's been a wonderful thing. And then we've had some wonderful trail riding outside of endurance because he's such a uniquely capable horse, so sure-footed, so smart, we're able to do things mm-hmm. that I don't think you'd ever ask any other horse to do. Now, have you done ride in ties with him? Uh, you know, uh, thanks for reminding me about that. We, we, we did. I I had a terrible accident, uh, not on Remington, had nothing to do with Remington, but I had a terrible accident at the very end of the last millennium, the very last day, uh, and uh, uh, broke a lot of bones, destroyed my knee and so forth, and so uh, I was very eager to get uh, back going, doing things again. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't even think I'd be able to ride a horse again, but I, I was able to. Uh, and so one of the things I wanted to do was a ride and tie as soon as I could. Um, so we, we we did do one in, in Southern, Southern California, and it was, it was really a lot of fun. I'd actually like to do that again. I'm, I'm told that older endurance horses make great ride and tie horses because they're, they're calm when they get tied up and they enjoy just uh-huh. – tearing off at a gallop and then getting a chance to rest. So we, we have done that. I'd like to do more of that. He's 26, by the way, not 25. Oh, is he 26 now? Wow. <laughs> time marches on. <laughs> it sure does. I, I remember meeting you for the first time at, at Silver State, and we were both fairly new. You know, I remember that. It was uh, it was. Uh, uh, it was. I think you were on Weaver. You had Weaver, and it was. It was uh-huh. the first multi-day for 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 both of us, and we were both yes, very excited. Yes. I remember that. I, I remember it very well. <laughs> oh wow, wow! I know time has just flown by. 
Okay, well, one of the things I'm interested in is learning how you manage Remington, because I know he's a little different from other horses. He grows a really thick, heavy coat. So tell us a little bit about some of your management with him. You know, um, I, I've got to confess that I'm still experimenting and learning, uh-huh. <laughs> which I, I suppose is a good thing. Um, the uh, um, uh, w- Speaking uh, specifically about the coat, um, what I've learned is that without fail, before every single endurance ride, I have to give him a full body clip within a week before the ride. Otherwise, wow. that coat just gets too heavy, and that is uh, uh, going to affect his uh, just everything about the ride. It'll, it'll affect his pulse uh-huh. and respiration, but it'll affect how he goes through the ride. Uh, a hot horse is an uncomfortable horse, becomes a tired horse. So I, I sometimes think I'm not an endurance rider, I'm an endurance clipper. I mean, the, the, the clipping is so much harder than the riding, especially when you get dull blades in the middle of the night and you've got to find another blade and all that. I, I hate uh-huh. clipping. <laughs> wow, you but must I, be I have really to do that. good at it. How long does it take you? You know, if, I'm, uh, uh, if I've got fresh blades and I've got sunlight, I can do it in about an hour. But then once I start to do the head and the face and all that, it, oh God, it drags into two hours. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and I also find that um, I I need to do that even for conditioning purposes. So if the horse hasn't competed for a while and I want to start doing heel training and all that, I better start uh, clipping him. And I, I, you know, this isn't unique to Remington. I think any person who has a heavy coated horse needs to think about that. That to mm-hmm. to even condition your horse, you need to clip. Um, I, I digress for a moment. I've I've gone to 100s where. Uh, in, in the in the winter time, and people show up with unclipped horses, and then they're surprised that their horse has metabolic problems deep into mm-hmm. the ride. And I think that's a, a horse that needs clipping, not, not just because it's a, a fuzzy little yak like Remington. <laughs> <laughs> now, does he have? Is it a real thick coat, or is it thick and long? Uh, I'd say uh, uh, thick and long, probably. Mm-hmm. Clipping a horse's coat a lot changes it a little bit. I think it makes it coarser. At least that's mm-hmm. what I'm noticing. So I, I think it's both. And, and then I'm also, at, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, say, I'm looking at a picture of him here, and uh, his forelock and mane, he's got a lot of that, too. He's got a lot of that. That we don't cut off. We don't trim that at all. So he's got <laughs> he's forelock, cute. mane, really and cute. just a gorgeous long tail. <laughs> but a, another thing on, on management of Remington it's been very important for me, let's say, in the last decade. And, and I've, I've actually, I've got to thank you for this, Karen, in, in kind of blazing the way. And then I learned from seeing what you do is uh, I've gone barefoot with him. Uh, he's uh-huh. been barefoot for I cannot remember how many years, but it's, it's I think it's five or six. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's really, it's cured all the little lameness problems he would ever have after a long Terrific. year you know you know you do a 2,000 mile a year on a horse and, and I, I did on him uh, they mm-hmm. get little lamenesses and things and um, uh, all that's gone away he's sounder than he's ever been um, the, the barefoot re- regime is is wonderful for him same thing that you're talking about where you're barefoot all the time but for longer rides rockier training rides you'll put the the hoof boots on uh-huh. the other thing uh, again, I've taken the lead from you. <laughs> I went to a treeless saddle, uh, uh-huh. and uh, 
that was wonderful for him. Uh, it really allowed his uh, back to muscle up better. So strangely, he he's uh, actually a more powerful horse right now uh, than he's ever been. That's great. Has his attitude changed over the years? Um, he's a little mellower with me. You know, he doesn't nip uh-huh. me in the butt and knock me <laughs> over and do things quite as much as he used to do. But, no, it's it's pretty much the same old horse. He, <laughs> he, he You know, he really does like to get out on the trail and, and go. He just relishes the adventure and all that. So I, I wouldn't want that to ever go away. Oh, good. And what do you do with him as far as, like, electrolyting him? You know, um, really the last few years I haven't used them at all. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, when I used to ride uh, more, uh, then um, uh, and, and if I was in a in a uh, oh a, uh, not a multi day ride, a regular one day ride with lots of vet checks and so forth, uh-huh. it was easier to keep track of the electrolytes and and do that. And and then years and years ago, when I was trying to ride them a little faster. Uh, you know, if I was out after, uh, say, a regional championship and I wanted to beat other middleweights, then I would uh, run harder and, and I would use electrolytes. But I, I actually haven't uh, used any in years. Maybe I should be, but I just haven't done it. Okay. Okay. Well, I usually don't either. I just usually put salt in their food. Mm-hmm. It seems to work. So I'm glad that's working for them. That's great. But what future goals or plans have you got? Well, you know, that's a funny thing. Um, I had, uh, uh, I'd wanted to get him in the Hall of Fame <laughs> in a few years, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and, the, and the ARC beat me to it, so that's not a goal anymore. <laughs> uh, I would, um, uh, uh, next year will be our 20th year of doing 50s. This year uh, was our 20th year of doing, in, you know, endurance, including an LD, wow. LD in the first, but... This next year will be our our 20th year of doing 50s, and there are one or two other horses that have done that in the ARC, but that's it. And there won't uh-huh. and there are none that have done it that were high mileage horses. So he'll okay. be the first 10,000 mile horse to have gone 20 years doing wow. uh, doing that endurance. Is- and so then I'd like to take him a little bit longer uh, and do that. Um, otherwise, I don't have much in the way of goals. I used to have mileage goals, but uh-huh. I think. When you when you get an older horse, you just sort of want to do what feels right and and sure. and, and not uh, endanger him with 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 uh, trying to meet a goal here or there. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, John, you know, I have, I, a, couple, I have sure. a couple questions for you. Now, do you get any pushback from people on his age and that you're being cruel or all that stuff? I can see people saying that. You know, um, uh, I never have. Uh, I, I, well, I that's just good. Yeah. On, on on the age, I think they're they're used to me being odd, used to him being odd, and so <laughs> age is just. I mean, how do you comment on, on a horse's age when you're looking at a fuzzy Icelandic and it's a pony and this guy's been doing? I mean, age. What's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm not picking on you either. I drove my pony one one pony till he was thirty or she was thirty five. So, you know, um, you know, and and still going strong at that point. Um, well, you know, I, Icelandics. Uh, uh, are long-lived uh, animals. It used to be that the, the, the Guinness Book of Records longest-lived horse was, was an Icelandic, Tully, who lived to 57 and died of loneliness when its owner died. And Remington's got aunts and uncles that went uh, 
past 40 and still doing parades and things. So I imagine yeah. I can ride him as long as he's, as he's healthy, you know. Um, also, there was kind of a, a strange thing um, uh, years ago when we, we did a 2,000-mile year. I had his uh, feet checked at Alamo Pintado. Uh, with a, was it a nuclear bone scan or some some kind of exotic technology, and they discovered that he had a a void in his pastern, not literally a hole through it, but but a hollowness. Uh, and then we checked all the old X-rays and found that uh, uh, it had been there uh, forever. So they said, well, you probably shouldn't have started this horse on endurance if you if if everybody had known he had a void. But now wow. that he's got that, you want to keep his bone density high. And you want to keep that bone rebuilding. So mm-hmm. I, I've been advised by my veterinarians to actually work him hard as long as he's alive. That's it'll, good. It'll yeah, keep him going. Be better for him. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Good. Wow. Well, John, we wish you good luck on your um, for the rest of the time you have him. You're so lucky to have him for this long. I think that's just a fantastic. Um, accomplishment everything you've done with them and uh, thanks again for joining us today we appreciated having you well thank you it was great talking to you thanks john bye-bye thanks john bye i love talking about breeds that are doing uh disciplines that you wouldn't normally think they did do you know and no, you don't normally see them doing because it's just so sure. and it just goes to show that, you know, they don't have to be Arabs in your case, and, you know, they all, all have to be warm bloods and dressage, and, you know, all, all of those, you know, stereotypes that we, you, you think about all the time. Exactly, and it's just great. I, I think it's just incredible that he's able to ride, you know, endurance on this horse for 20 years. But, you know, one of the big goals most of the riders now have is to become a decade team, which is 10 years. And, you know, John's doing this twice on the same horse. Now, does he have, I wanted to ask him and I forgot, does he have any others coming up or is this his horse? You know, I know he's got another one, a chocolate one. I, re- I remember he brought Icelandic two a ride also? once. And, um, but he had, I don't know. I think he's probably just been concentrating on riding Remington for now. So, yeah, we should have asked him if he was g- going to keep, trying to ride on um, any new horses. And I love that he bought the kids a pony. I love that. Yes. Kids probably never got to ride the pony. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as he has. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. It's That's great. funny. I wonder how many times that happens when the kids get a pony and they never get to touch it. <laughs> I know. That is cool how he started out. I mean, he was not a horse guy. He just, uh, you know, he, he bought the kids a pony, and there, there he is all, the, all these years later. And, and it just you know, worked I, out. Things yeah. work out for a reason sometimes. Yeah. Well, you're very good. A lot less pedaling with uh, the Icelandic than his mountain bike, too. Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break for our song okay. of the day right after this word from Toklat, who I think talk about toe clap pads in a recent episode with you i think we did i did yeah well toe clap is a sponsor of our rolex coverage that uh, we are doing here on horses in the morning if there's any endurance riders heading out to rolex uh three-day event in lexington kentucky as a spectator please do consider meeting up with us we will be having a listener meetup 
at Rolex half an hour before cross-country starts on Saturday at the first jump. We're going to all meet up there, maybe walk a couple jumps together, watch some riders, and then head off all in our different directions. But there are four or five hosts from the Horse Radio Network going to be there, Jennifer and I and Jamie from The Morning Show. We will have Reese Koffler-Stanfield from The Dressage Show, Samantha from the eventing radio show are all going to be meeting up there. So we're looking forward to seeing you all. And one of the sponsors of that coverage of ours is Toklat. So we're going to hear from them. And then I have a song that I thought really fits, and we haven't played here on the show before. It really fits you guys, and it really made me think of uh, endurance riding. It's called The Same Dark Trail by Jared Rogerson. Toclad is a proud sponsor of the Horses in the Morning Rolex coverage. We would like to highlight this week the Iridian Hampshire Breach. Marrying traditional styling with technical breathable stretch, the Iridian Hampshire Breach effortlessly goes from the practice ring to the show arena. A smooth fabric finish and body contouring panels offer a comfortable four-way stretch, while chamois soft knee patches or full seat provide increased stability in the saddle. This traditional breech features front zip with a 2-inch waistband. The two front hand pockets are angled for a flattering look, and the back design lines are in the Euro seat style. For increased ventilation and no bulk comfort in tall boots, the cap is constructed with our wicking breathable mesh. Four great colors to choose from, black, classic tan, graphite, white, these breeches are perfect for everyday or show breeches. Toclad has partnered up with Wise Choice Tax, so go to their booth and use the coupon code HRNROLEX and you will get $15 off the Hampshire breeches or visit toclat.com for more information. darkest canyon with ghosts at every turn I'd crossed a thousand raging rivers and swore I'd never learn the answer to a question I didn't even know down the same dark trail you were traveling alone Two thousand miles away from home Into the western sunset You did wrong A hard way to go Down the same dark trail We were lost And found each other And not many Sunrise, we can see the light. 
right to each other and The feeling is so bright But the lightning and the thunder as they are Confusion clouds the vision of our hearts We fall apart Down the same dark trail We were lost and found each other That was the same dark trail by Jared Rogerson. You tweak a few of those lyrics in there, Karen, and you got yourself an endurance song. That's, uh, you can find all of his music at jaredrogerson.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning Endurance Day here. I'm Glenn Geek here with Karen Chatton and Coach Jen in the producer chair. I wanted to remind everybody that tomorrow we have our EquityMFG.com Celebrity Trivia Challenge on tomorrow morning's Horses in the Morning where a celebrity from the equestrian world goes up against one of our listeners in a three-round trivia game for prizes. So that's happening on tomorrow's Horses in the Morning. Well, Karen, I think our next guest is ready. Wait a minute, Karen. Mary! It helps if I take you off. Hold on one second. Start over. I didn't have you off mute. That was my fault. Now you can go. (laughs) Okay. We can hear you now. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. All right, next up is Mary Melby. She is a horse photographer, writer, photojournalist, artist, horse packer, spotted owl hooter, wildlife technician, trail builder, carriage driver, sound engineer, theater techie, world traveler, former racetrack groom, owner of the most beautiful horse on the planet, rabid endurance writer, Tevis Cup finisher, but not all at the same time. That's what she wrote <laughs> for her bio on um, Amazon.com for her book, Soul Deep in Horses, Memoir of an Equestrian Vagabond. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hi, Karen. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Jen. Hi. Mary, <laughs> I'm reading. she was just reading that, and I'm going, oh, what a lazy woman. Not done anything <laughs> in her life. 
<laughs> I know I got to get busy. I got my time's yeah. running. Jeez, get off the couch, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, Mary. Before tell us start, about your Karen. book and what what inspired you to write it. Okay. Uh, before we start, though, Karen, I want to yeah. say that we had our first endurance ride of the season on Saturday, just down the road, five miles down the road. And oh, great! When you were talking about helicopter legs, we four of us started out <laughs> riding together, and so there were 16 helicopter legs going, and then another rider joined us, so there were 20 helicopter legs going for the first 25 miles. Oh. <laughs> and it calmed down on the second loop. We had a great ride. It was awesome. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hey, my horse does that out on a training ride by himself. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> I know. That's how we got the name. My husband actually gave him that name, just out on a trail ride um, in our backyard. <laughs> I saw the pictures of him. I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's funny because most people are at home going, oh, their horses are just getting warmed up after 25 miles. <laughs> <laughs> you're really glad for that 26 mile when they have calmed down a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get on to your book, what is a spotted owl hooter? Um, I I do work for um, uh, companies that keep track of spotted owls. And so you go out oh. in the woods and you hoot for spotted owls to try to find out where they are and where they're nesting and um, kind of keep track of how their numbers are, which are actually not very good at this this point. Are you, are you, you, you actually go out there and do the owl hoot to try and get their attention? Mm-hmm. Do you have a mechanism like a duck call to do that? <laughs> there is a little uh, whistle that we use, but if you're good, you can also use your voice. Oh, well, you know what my next question is going to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Karen's going there, too. <laughs> I'll just did do one that. for you. One. I'll do that again. I was, I was laughing. Go ahead. Do it again. Hey, that sounds just like the ones in our neighborhood. That was really good. Oh, no. <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Very good. All right, sorry. I toured off of the uh, horse okay. talk. Oh, that's great. <laughs> At the first, though, on the show, we've had somebody hoot like an owl. First owl hooter? First spotted yeah. owl on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now let's talk about the book. Okay. Okay, go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about it and how you got inspired to write about all of your adventures. Well, I read a, a statistic somewhere that something like 85% of people want to write a book, and it took me about 20 years, and I finally did write one. Um, mm-hmm. when, I was, when I was young, I didn't like to write. When I was in school, I didn't like to write. Um, and it wasn't really until... I started working on the racetrack as a groom in 1987 that I started keeping a journal of every day at the track, the horses, what I did. And and then when I did my first travel trip, I've, I've done a lot of traveling, backpack traveling. I, it was in 1989, um, six weeks in Europe. I really started keeping detailed journals of my travels. And it all sort of sort of became one, the traveling and the writing and the photographing and, and the horses and just kind of became a snowball and just kept rolling from there. And 
along the way, I had some really good travel stories. They weren't so funny at the time, but looking back now, they were funny, and <laughs> friends really enjoyed the stories. And the same with the horses. Some were pretty exciting stories, and um, I had some really cool racehorses that I groomed at the track, and uh, they all they all turned into stories that I kind of had in the back of my mind as, as a book someday. You know, everybody wants to write a book. So I uh, started putting those together, and, and then uh, I don't know, the, the, the other horse adventures sort of happened. I don't know, I didn't really plan them. They just sort of happened, and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them became stories, some not-so-good stories and some good stories, but uh, I think they, they all, they're all fun to tell, especially the bad ones. Now looking back, they're a lot more fun to tell now. <laughs> yeah. How many different horses have you ridden? Oh, geez. Um, I've never owned my own endurance horse, so wow. I've always ridden other people's horses. Um, I don't know, dozens, <laughs> lots. Oh, and how many different breeds? Uh, on the racetrack, I groom thoroughbreds. I mostly ride Arabians in endurance. I've ridden, um, when I packed for the Forest Service, we had Missouri Foxtrotters. They were great, really smart and steady and um just really good horses. I've ridden uh, an Orloff Trotter, part Orloff Trotter. Um, mostly ride Arabians, though. Okay. And how many different countries and continents have you been on? Jeez, huh. um, I should have counted them up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably about 30 or 35 countries. And a lot of this I did as a, as a backpack traveler. I started doing that in 89, and I uh, did it every two years for, for probably about a decade. And, okay. Um, uh, sometimes horses were involved, and sometimes they weren't. But it's, it's sort of a bug I have, this travel bug, kind of like the horse bug. You, just, you can't stop. Once you start, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite place to ride that you've ridden? I couldn't pick a favorite place. Mm, I couldn't pick, pick a favorite place to travel either. Every every place is kind of special. Where I am out in the desert in southwest Idaho here is I'm not really a desert person, but it's just incredible out here. Just uh, there's so many good trails and hidden scenery back here, and uh, it, I don't know anywhere I ride, it's just fantastic. Okay, well, I got I finally got the chance to read through a few, few chapters of your book. I haven't finished it yet while I was at the ride this weekend. And one of the, the funny chapters was when you were talking about Zayante. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about him and about your time in the arena with him at the equine affair. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, uh, Zayante is one of the highest mileage horses in AERC. Jackie Baumgartner in um, Southern California owned him. He just died in 2011. Um, he was just this incredible horse to ride. Um, Julie Sir, Nick Warhol. Uh, Julie Sir originally started him. Julie and Bob started him in endurance, and they went, he went 5,000 miles without a pole, and um, then they, they gave him back to Jackie because he was kind of spooky, and uh, mm-hmm. she continued riding him, and I started... Um, staying with Jackie in the winters in, in Southern California. I'd work in 
in the middle of California for the Forest Service in the summer, and I'd stay with Jackie in the in the winter, and he was one of her horses at the time, and, oh, we'd all fight over riding him because he was so much fun. He was so tough, and he just loved going down the trail, and the horse would come up beside him, and he'd just pin his ears, and he'd sneer at the horse, and he just thought he was something. <laughs> and Jackie was um, picked to put on an endurance seminar at this, equine affair in Pomona, California this year. And so I went along with her to help. She, she took two horses, Zayante and Holly. And, um, you know, I, I was a pretty good rider back then. You know, I'd ridden 150 miles of endurance and on Zayante, a couple hundred miles altogether. And I did a lot of training rides on him. So I knew him pretty well. And, you know, we were good partners. And uh, we get to this equine affair, and he's staying in a stall, and he's terrified. I don't think he'd ever been in a stall in his life. And uh-huh. take him and Holly out and walk him around, and he was just spooking and jumping, and he was just, just really scared. So we decided we needed to warm them up in the arena. And I thought, oh, I got this. You know, I'm I'm a really good rider. <laughs> I can, I'll, you know, exercise him a little bit. So we take the two horses to the arena and put the saddle on Zayante, and I climb on him and going to take him out in the arena and just take him around a couple of times to loosen him up and all these other fancy horses and riders are going around but you know what I, I know what I'm doing and I cannot get this horse to go around the arena he's just he's he doesn't want to leave Holly and he's bellowing and he's <laughs> zigzagging all over the place and he's kind of running trying to run into horses and we just kind of have this battle out there in the arena and everybody kind of clears out except for this one really nice pair out there, this really handsome cowboy on this beautiful horse, and they're trying to have their nice uninterrupted warm-up, and Diante and I are kind of like kamikazes going around the arena there, and I'm kicking him, and he's going sideways, and I can't steer him, and he just wants to get back to home. He kind of almost runs over this pair, and... I'm trying to be inconspicuous, but it's not working. And uh, I find out later that this was Ted Robinson, the world's greatest horseman, that uh, Zayante almost ran over. Uh, And I really hope that this memory has faded from his mind, because it sure hasn't faded from mine. (laughs) But really, Zayante was a great horse. He just didn't like arenas. Right, right. We all have one of those moments at some time in our lives on a horse, though. When, oh, I'm glad. <laughs> when you want to crawl under a rock. <laughs> yeah. That one was probably a little more public than most, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that always makes for excitement with the audience. It makes it a fun day. You know, they're paying all that money to get in. They might as well have some entertainment. You were the entertainer. I guess. Oh. <laughs> you know, hey, one of the things. I was reading the reviews on your book on Amazon, and one of the things that came up with both, I'll read this one sentence, I think I would say that what moved me the most was the honest writing and admission that at times fear was involved with your adventures. And, you know, that is one of the things that sometimes writers will not include out of ego or whatever. And, uh, And both of the reviews commented on that about how you were willing to just lay it all out there Having known Karen now for some time and, and have met, have, having met a lot of endurance riders on the show here, I think that they're all kind of that way, aren't they? They're just the kind of people that just let it all out there because what choice have they got? 
<laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Karen, I don't think you've ever been afraid. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got you know maybe we like that I don't know maybe that's why we need to have our heads examined sometimes. <laughs> so Mary, when ha- when have you been the most frightened? Well, the the book starts out. I really really wanted to be an exercise writer. That was just the ultimate. I just oh I just I don't know something about it just made me want to do that on the racetrack. And I tried it, and the first time I tried that, a horse ran off with me, and it just. I'd, I'd never been afraid of anything, and this was just uh, in, in, incapacitating. I, I, I wanted to do it so bad, and I couldn't, and I kind of <laughs> didn't know where to go from there. And um, it wasn't probably until 10 years later that uh, I was in Egypt riding this horse, and I, I really wanted to gallop in the desert by pyramids. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? But I was still, was still scared because I never really – you know, you ride endurance. You don't go galloping anywhere. You you spend most of your time trotting. And um, but I still had this thing in the back of my mind. I want to gallop horses. And so I, I finally got my chance. My friends in Egypt they took me out in the desert, but they put me on this horse that's just this dragon man. He's blowing smoke out of his nose and he's snorting <laughs> and he's rooting his head down and ripping me out of the saddle. And I'm just thinking I'm I'm going to die. Why do I want to gallop horses? I don't know. <laughs> And so we, we get out in the desert, and, and I'm scared, and I just keep thinking I'm going to have this wreck again, and how do you get to the hospital in Egypt? And, oh, my God, I just I get off the horse and walk home. And and he just turned into this incredible I, – I never touched his mouth. He was so light. He didn't – you know, the other horses would take off at a canter, and he would just keep trotting along, just waiting for me to ask him to go. And, and it was – it was that ride on that horse that just made it happen. I galloped on this horse, and I wasn't afraid. And uh, it was, I don't know, if I hadn't ridden that horse at that time, if I if I tried galloping some other horse too soon, you know, ten, five years earlier, you know, I probably still would have been scared. But it was just the right mm-hmm. horse at the right time, and it was just, it it, it made it easy. Um, I, so that was, I was quite scared on that horse until it turned out that he was just this magic carpet ride. And wow. it, once in a while, I still, I, I wouldn't say I'm afraid, but I'm, I'm, I, I always have this accident in the back of my head that, you know, things can happen. So I, I try to be cautious. And if I get to the point where I'm scared, you know, I kind of back off a little bit and just take, take my time a little bit more. Now, I saw that, that you were a park ranger for a period of time. It's ironic. We played the song from Jared Rogerson today, who is a, who works for the Park Service, and he does surveys of animals and actually rides into the mountains for, for a week or two at a time as part of his job. Did you get to play with horses as a park ranger? Well, I wasn't actually a park ranger. I worked for the Forest Service. Um, okay. Just, I'm kind of a peon worker, but... Um, I did get to, I worked on the trail crew for about seven years, and then I did some biology work and archaeology work but uh, and fisheries work. But we did have a pack string of horses, and we used horses to pack our gear into the mountains because we worked in the backcountry. And I was the only one who worked with horses regularly, so I got to assist 
a couple of the Forest Service Rangers with the packing, and then there were times where um, I was the only one to do it. So um, I did get to do quite a bit of packing for the Forest Service. And while I I loved parts of it, I was uh, a little leery of it because there's so many things that can go wrong packing. And as you'll see in one of the stories, it did go really wrong. We flipped a pack horse down down a cliff. Um, But we had – these were the Missouri Foxtrotters that I mentioned. They were just smart and strong, and they – just those horses, and we had one mule that just really taught me a lot about packing. Hmm, Interesting. So are there any places left on on your bucket list that you'd like to see from the back of a horse? Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll set you up with John Park, and you can go ride Icelandic together. How's that? That that would be great. For a long time, I wanted to go to Iceland, and, you know, what better way to see it than ride an Icelandic pony in Iceland? That would be fun. Yeah. Okay, well, where can listeners purchase your book? What's your address and and all that? Uh, My book is available on Amazon.com, and in a couple of weeks, um, autograph copies will be available on my website, which is TheEquestrianVagabond.com. Okay, and um, tell us a little bit about your blog that you do. My blog I started, I think, in 1990. Six. That uh, oh, I'm sorry. About 2006. I'm a decade okay. ahead of my. Uh, and it just sort of uh, came about the equestrian vagabond. The title for it. Um, I work Perfect. usually for the Forest Service in the summers, and then I go to Southern California in the winters, or I go traveling in the winters. And um, it, my alarm clock would kind of go off every six months. Okay, it's time to go somewhere else. Time to go somewhere else. And um, the horse stories were the basis for the for the blog and um I right, and you've just, got a lot of photographs on there right and sometimes it is just my photographs and sometimes it's a story of um you know horse ride that i've done or some travels that i've done or birds you know sometimes birds come into play there um but i usually post on that a couple of times a week and um that was that sort of became an obvious title for my book, uh, The Equestrian Vagabond, because the stories, some of the stories are um, just like uh, stories that are on my blog. Horse adventures. You have a lot of, you have a lot of uh, uh, e-books on your, on your website as well that you've written, uh, uh, shorter e-books, and I love the title of the one, and you're going to know which one I'm talking about immediately. I, had just, I was sitting over here laughing. The title, Karen, is Claim the Trick. The Royal Ass. Uh, that's a great title for a book. It makes me want to read it. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, these are the little short stories are from my racetrack days, the horses that I took care of um, from those journals that I kept on the racetrack. I had some really entertaining, um, very big personality horses. They may not have run fast, but they had big pers- personalities that I took care of on the racetrack. <laughs> Can't wait to read that one. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> So, so uh, we'll remind the listeners again, it's Full Deep in Horses, and you can get it at Amazon.com and check out Mary's blog, The Equestrian Vagabond. Thank you for joining us, Mary. It was fun talking to you. Oh, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Mary. Okay. Bye. Well, what a woman with the, that has lived a life, huh? 
Yeah, she's had I mean, a lot of fun adventures. I'm glad she wrote about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking. She has a bunch of different books that she has done, e-books here that you can get on our website that all look like fun. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait to read. I can't wait to read uh, the uh, the Soul Deep in Horses. Though. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And she obviously is. is entertaining. So and has a sense of yes. humor. So I think. Yeah. Uh, and she actually did the hoot owl thing. I didn't think she was going to do that. <laughs> I would have put five bucks. She wouldn't have done that. I because you know we've tried to get other people to do weird, funny stuff like that before, and they never do it. She just jumped right in. I like her. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we have uh, normally at this time of the show we talk about upcoming events, and you talk about the two or three that are going on here in the country. But uh, it's a little different this month. Yes, ride season is well underway. We've got over forty rides on the calendar in the next month. Whoa. So for those interested in checking out the ride calendar, you can go to aerc.org, and on the left-hand column, go to ride calendar, and you can search by your region or just all of AERC if you'd like and, and look up some of those rides. They are, um, we're going to have a busy, busy month coming up. So what I thought, thought would be yeah. worth mentioning is AERC's mentor program. That okay. AERC has. They have a listing of experienced, capable riders who have volunteered to help new members into the sport. So new riders can, may need to contact a few different people to find somebody that actually fits their needs. You can contact your regional directors, which you can also find them on the AERC.org website, and they can help you find an experienced rider in your hometown that might be able to help you as a mentor. So you can call AERC. Um, check their website at aerc.org, or their phone number is 866-271-2372. What a great idea, because I think endurance is one of those sports that's kind of intimidating for people when they think about getting started in it. Um, you know, you can go to a hunter show and watch, and you can go, you know, you can go watch a, mm-hmm. a jumper show, and you can kind of figure it out, or, or you have a coach in your area. But with endurance, it's a little different, isn't it? I mean, it, you do kind of it need uh, somebody to help guide you through the do's and don'ts and to help you not uh, not make some bad mistakes when you first get started. Right, and there's there's so many different ways you can learn. You, you know, you can learn from somebody in person. They can um, talk on the phone, send emails, answer questions back and forth. You know, you can meet up with somebody at a ride. There's, you know, a lot of opportunity out there for a new person to learn. You just need to, um, you know, ask for the help, and people will help you. Very good. Well, I just got confirmation of who our celebrity. You're off the hook for getting up early tomorrow morning, Karen, and making you do this all over again, because we do have a celebrity now confirmed. I was just waiting to hear oh, from her, good. and it's it's ironic because she also, just like our last guest, uh, Mary, has traveled around the world probably more than anybody I know, and that is Darlie Newman, Newman from the Equitrekking program on uh, PBS. She will be joining us tomorrow as our celebrity, so you can uh, tune in tomorrow morning to hear her challenge one of our listeners in the Trivia Challenge. Now, she's a little concerned that she's not going to know enough but I think, Jennifer, if you ask her anything about traveling around the world riding horses, she's probably pretty safe in answering that, uh, as she has done it all over the world. And I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but it is, it is a really neat show. She won an Emmy for it, actually. So she'll be here tomorrow morning to play. 
So we're excited about that. And Jamie will be back tomorrow morning as well. And Karen is here the, what is it, the first, the second Tuesday of every month. She is here with uh, talking about endurance. If you missed the past episodes, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and listen to all the past episodes that Karen has done. Just uh, search for Karen Chatton in the search bar, and it'll pull up, or Endurance Day, and it'll pull up all the past episodes, and you can go back and take a listen to those. You still are one of the most listened to episodes every month here on Horses in the Morning. Yes. Isn't that great? It's so fun because there's so many interesting and fun people to talk to. You know, I don't think I'm going to run out anytime soon. It's great. You know, it, it, when it, when I started the Horse Radio Network, people said to me, you know, you're going to do a, a radio show that, at that point. You're going to do a radio show about horses. You're just going to run out of things to talk about. <laughs> and <laughs> now we're horses, out of... <laughs> And not with endurance riders either. There's, there's a lot of really fun people out there. And everybody's got their own stories and their own adventures. And, you know, it's just it's a lot of fun. So I'm a firm topics. believer, and I've said this for six years, and in oh, what, almost 3,500 episodes now on the Horse Radio Network, that wow. every horse person has a story. Every uh-huh. horse person has a story. It's just, you know, can they tell it in an entertaining, fun way? That's a different story. But uh, every horse person does have a story and has had some adventures in life. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all, they're all worth hearing, and it's a lot of fun hearing them. If you want to listen to this show on the recorded version, the best way to do that is, and and I recommend this to endurance riders, just get our app. It's free. It's easy to use. Go to the iOS or Android store on your phone. Download Horse Radio Network phone app, and you can listen to all 11 of our shows. You can kill more time listening to our shows. As I said, we have 3,500 back episodes. So that's a lot of 100 milers. You can listen to us for a long, long time. Yes, or just doing chores. It's I listen when I'm not doing chores in the barn. Uh, uh, most people, you know, we're the, one, we're the only radio show in the world that can say that we are listened to by more people that are cleaning stalls and so- shoveling crap <laughs> than any other show. Yes. We have that. It's one thing we have going for us. <laughs> and your website is? My website, just my name, KarenChatton.com. And I recommend you go there, even if you're not into endurance, because she writes, she, you're a very funny writer, and she writes some great articles and really tells a story very well in writing, and her blog is definitely something to check out. And that's how I met you, was actually finding your blog and, and oh, uh, reading it and liking uh-huh. it. So, yeah, check out her blog. Oh, if one thing, you know, I forgot to mention, there's only yeah. 17 weeks left till Tevis. Well, you know, we're going to have to start talking about that, aren't we, here in the coming months? Again. <laughs> Again, yes. Well, we you know, go. it is kind of the Super Bowl, right? I mean, it's what it everybody looks if, forward to. Right. If people aren't writing it, they're crewing or they're volunteering or they're going as a spectator. So it's, a, it's the, probably the biggest event in the United States of its kind, of course. It's, it's always on a, what, a Saturday, isn't it? It's a Saturday. Uh-huh. Are you going? Night. I'll probably be there one way or the other. You know, it's a little too soon to commit with the horse. I want to get through that uh, 75-miler first, and then I'll commit if that goes well. Uh So far, everything's looking good. You know, I don't want to, you know, tempt those gremlins. Well, now that you're an official radio host, you know your obligation, don't you? (laughs) You're going to have to do a live report from the trail. 
You're going to have okay. to call in with a live report. It's on a Saturday, right? Yes. All right. Well, we'll have to record it, and then I'll play it on Monday's Horses in the Morning. But it'll be the, okay. that'll be a first, too, probably, uh, that's ever been done before, is a live report on a radio show from the Trail of Tebbit. Okay, we'll do that. Preferably not when you're going up that straight hill up up uh, ninety rock. degree mountain. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wait to a little flatter section. Well, that would make for a pretty unique um, show, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this show up. We'll be back again tomorrow morning here live on Horses in the Morning, and Karen will be back again next month. Safe riding, there, Karen. Thank you. I'm trying to find the closing music. There it is. Be safe, everybody. Wear your helmets.